It's time for the Off the Mound with Ryan Dempster podcast presented by Sloan. I'm your host, Ryan Dempster, and today we're joined by former Cub 1984 Cy Young Award winner Rick Sutcliffe. That's right, the Red Baron's stopping by, but first I got to tell you about Sloan's no-touch hand-washing technology. It's state-of-the-art, second to none, and couldn't come at a better time. So we want to thank them for providing that technology to the people out there so we can wash our hands and stay safe. Now, when you're around this guy, you're just going to laugh. You're going to enjoy life. You're going to take strolls down memory lane. He's one of the best storytellers around. So let's just get right down to it and go off the mound with Rick Sutcliffe. The rare Baron joining us all the way from San Diego. Why do I look at you and start laughing, man? <laughs> You're one of the funnest guys I know. It's always a pleasure to be with you, Rhino. How are you? I, I'm good. You know, um, it's been a crazy year, obviously, but uh, we're, we're doing uh, well. I'm, I'm a you know, part-time teacher, I guess, with the kids at home in school. Um, I'm definitely realizing that I would fail at that Jeff Boxworthy show, Are You Smarter Than a Fifth Grader? Um, <laughs> I'm in the corner Googling stuff while they're trying to figure it out. So it's been not, but it's all been good. How about, how about the set cliffs? You know what? Um, It's funny. Just thinking about that makes me feel even older. Um, I think my grandkids are are, are the same age as your kids. (laughs) I'm uh, we're, we're blessed. Um, Everybody's okay. Um, We're we're playing a lot of golf. um, As you know, um, uh, the Torrey Pines event is in San Diego this week. Uh, I get to play with a Kansas City buddy named Robert Streb later today. Uh, Bill Murray's been out here. Uh, Huey Lewis, they've got places up north of San Diego. We've played Bochi, Nevin. Uh, everything's okay, you know, but when, when you think about what should be going on, we should be able to go out and watch the golf at Torrey Pines this weekend. Um, and, you know, in a couple of weeks from now, I should be down in Tampa in my Kansas City Chiefs in the Super Bowl, but uh, neither one of those things is going to happen. You're playing with, with Robert Streb in a, in a practice round. Is he doing that to gain his confidence going into the tournament? Knowing, like, if I play against Sut. <laughs> you know, um, he just won a tournament a couple of weeks ago, but the last two weeks he struggled a little bit, and there's a, there's a couple of things that he wants me to help him with. <laughs> Now, you mentioned this, and I know this. I, I talked to you uh, on Monday, and I sat there, and I, I gave you a few hours because I knew the big football game was Sunday night, and here they go again, uh, your beloved Kansas City Chiefs to the Super Bowl. Talk about how awesome that is and how awesome it is to be a Chiefs fan right now because they are, they're the best out there, man. It's, it's incredible to watch. Uh, that's really well said, Rhino. Um, as as a Cub fan would know, when you go back to 2015 and 2016, how exciting that was. Um, as a lifelong Chiefs fan, growing up in Kansas City, uh, I had season tickets for 25 years until the past year when 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 things have kind of gone awry. Um, you know, Lynn Dawson. Um, one thing I think of is I had a neighbor in Kansas City named Tim Grunhart. Uh, he was a center at Notre Dame. He's a Chicago kid. He grew up there. Uh, right now, when I retired in 1995, he asked me if a bunch of his buddies and my buddies, if we could go to Wrigley for opening day. Um, they wanted to sit in the bleachers. Oh, as you know, we're sitting out there in the bleachers. 95 was also the year where Ryan Sandberg came out of retirement. So the game's over with. We're over at Murphy's. We're all out on the deck. Somebody hollers, said, come on in, Sports Center. 
They're starting off at Wrigley Field. We all go running in, and Dan Patrick, you know, our good buddy, you know how much fun he used to be around. Dan Patrick goes, two former Cub greats to return to Wrigley. They show Sandberg hitting a double in the gap. They show me in the bleachers with Grunhart in a beer about that big, making a big old <laughs> So, you know, that. I, I mean, I go back to, to that point um, with the Kansas City Chiefs. And, then, of course, you know from being in spring training uh, the last couple of years, uh, Travis Kelsey has come down there and suited up with it. Well, and I was going to say, you're lucky because, um, you know, Travis came down last couple spring trainings, comes down, they win the world's, uh, win the, um, the Super Bowl, and you decide, you know, on a second trip down, hey, I got a little bit of an idea. And because we got another resident Kansas City Chief fan and Tommy Hadovy, the pitching coach, um, yeah. you went over yeah. and asked Tommy about him possibly just taking a look at a few pitches from John Lester. What what was that like to watch somebody who's the you know the best tight end in football to go up against one of the best left-handed pitchers in the batting cage? Well, Ryan, it, it's one of those moments that you never forget. Um, two years ago, when he came down, I threw BP to him. He had a blast. They go out and win the Super Bowl. So he tells me we got to come back. It, it's a tradition. So he comes back. It was one of those days where everything was inside. It had been raining all night. So I'm throwing BP to him, and while he's raking me, you know, he can hit. He's a switch hitter, go right or left, um, you know, equally as good from both sides. Out of the corner of his eye, I see him peeking over, and Jerry Lester had to do a simulated game because we weren't allowed to get on the field. I stop, and I go to him, I go, you want some of that? And he goes, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. So as you said, I went over to Hadovy. I said, well, you ask John. I don't want to get in his way. We know how he is when he's working. Anyway, um, Travis Kelsey gets in. Johnny Lester said, bring it on. Um, at that point, when that at-bat was over with, Travis Kelsey realized that he had made the right decision not playing baseball. <laughs> I know. I love when guys think that they got a shot, and then you stand in the box against that. It's the same way the shoe is on the other foot, like, you know, uh, I, I remember uh, Ted Lilly in Milwaukee thinking, hey, I can guard Jeff Samarja. And so he had DeRosa out there, and he's like, DeRosa, <laughs> let's run some routes. Well, you could easily see who was on the practice practice squad and who was capable of playing in the NFL because Ted had no shot. We all think we can play play on the other foot, but it just doesn't happen. He's he's as good as they get. Um, that, that just yeah, big you know, Jim, doing that. The funniest part about that to me was, I'm sorry, but if I'm on the mound or you're on the mound, I feel like we both might have taken care of Travis, right? I mean, here he is down there, whatever. Johnny Lester buried him. <laughs> that, was, that was the best part of the whole thing. He was giving him the real-life experience. Well, I can't wait till the Super Bowl. I'm fired up for you that the Chiefs are back in. It's going to be a ton of fun, and, uh, and they're so much fun to watch, and they got their hands full with a guy who knows how to – win a Super Bowl. So um, best of luck to them. But, um, you know, speaking of the red of the Kansas City Chiefs and and uh, and redheads, the Chicago Cubs hired a new play-by-play -play man. Um, you've had firsthand as good a knowledge as anybody. You guys are great friends. Boog Shambi, what were your thoughts when they hired Boog to be the new <laughs> voice for the Cubs on TV? Well, first of all, I love him to death. Um, I've been with him a long time. Um, the Cub fans are absolutely going to love him. Rhino, you, you know him as well as I do. 
Um, the one thing that he has trouble with is knowing the difference between funny and mean. And so <laughs> as I was debating on what I was going to say about him today, I thought of a story my grandpa told me a long time ago. He said, you know, if you don't have anything nice to say about somebody, then just don't say anything at all. And with that in mind, I'm just hoping you all out there would join me in a moment of silence for John Shiambi. <laughs> oh, oh, I love that story. All right, now to get to the point. Hey, hey, Tim, as you know, Cubs kind enough after opening day um, to bless me with a bobblehead. For people that want to know the difference between John Shiambi and me, here's here's <laughs> Boog's bobblehead. <laughs> it says something about heat misery or something like that. Oh yeah, that 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 can be the boog that we all know. But I, I, well, I, I, I will think tell you this. He's, um, he's so great about self-deprecating humor, but the reality is, like you said, he'll throw some jabs at you, and I'm a little nervous to get in and maybe get that third man in the booth with him and JD because I'm scared of what he might say about me. I'm warning you to be careful, okay? Because I kind of started it all, all right? You know that he was born in Philly. His favorite player growing up was Mike Schmidt. Several years ago, we're in spring training. He had, Booga just had knee surgery, but he looks down. We're doing a Philly game. He sees Michael Jack, as he said, Mike Schmidt. He goes, I got to go down and say hello. Well, as we're heading down, I go, do you know him? Have you met him before? And he goes, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, does he know you? And he goes, yeah, yeah, he knows me. So, you know, because of his knee, I beat him down there. I had been on several Nike trips with Mike Schmidt, him and his wife, Donna. My wife and I, we played golf together. Anyway, I go up to Mike. I go, hey, I need a favor. What's that? I go, when Boog Shambi gets down here, I go, I want you to act like you have no idea who he is. So, Dim, <laughs> Boog gets down there. I'm on the other side of the batting cage. I go, hey, Smitty, look behind you. He turns around and he looks at, at Boog. And I go, you know who that is? And Smitty, as he can do, he looked him up. He looked him down. He turned to me and he goes, I have no idea. <laughs> 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 and as Boog, as Boog later said, he goes, you know, that, 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 that big part of your heart that's left of that eight-year-old kid, it absolutely died right, right on the spot right there. But as, as you know, you got to be careful with him. I, I, I made a mistake, and, and I paid for it. Oh, man. Well, and like, but the thing is, though, you can do that because he gives it back to you. I, I remember him calling a game and talking about you guys flying, I believe it was into Seattle, and you woke up on a plane ride. <laughs> and this joke that he threw out, now it's not only on national TV, but then it had ramifications later on with other friends. Tell us about that. Okay. Again, Jim, um, you need to learn. That, that's me, okay? He <laughs> might think it's funny. You might. But that's absolutely mean for you to make me tell that story. But I will, because I love you. So you're right. We fly into Seattle, and it's about 6 o'clock at night. The sun's going down. I had been sleeping the whole way. We had done a game earlier in the day. As you know, the people that have done it, there's like this pillow of clouds. It's like gorgeous, okay? And then all of a sudden, there's this huge mountain. And it's one of the most, like, beautiful sights I'd ever seen in my life. And, you know, I'm just waking up and everything. And as we're getting off the plane, I, I asked Boog, I go, did you see that mountain over there? And he goes, no, I was on the other side of the plane. I go, I'm still in the days, right? I said, was, was that Mount Everest? <laughs> and um, 
And he goes, no. He goes, um, it's Mount Rainier. I go, you know, he's making fun of me. And I said, I wasn't any good at, and I started to say geometry, and I stopped, right? So I, I don't say anything further. So we get our luggage, and, and, and it's over, right? So the next night in the fourth inning, we're, we're on national television with ESPN. They put us on camera. And they always gave me a heads up, but they didn't this time. And all of a sudden, Boo goes, my friends, let me tell you a story. Last night, we're flying in, and my buddy looked at me, and then they show Mount Rainier, and they show Mount Everest, and, like, how far away they are from, from where we're at. He goes, my buddy asked me if, if that was Mount Everest. <laughs> and he can hardly <laughs> say the rest of it. And then he mentioned geometry, right? So I don't think nothing of it. Well. For like the next two weeks, every day, I get a book in the mail from Amazon or delivered to my door about climbing Mount Everest and everything, right? Final part of this story. I'm in Boston like a month later, and I'm walking past the Boston Library. And I take a little video, and as you know, you're on the same thread I am. I'm on a thread with Theo Epstein, Sam Kennedy, president of the Red Sox, and Eddie Vedder. And I send a video saying, hey, if you guys are looking for me, I'm going to be spending the day in the library, right? I mean, that, that's funny enough. Right away, I get a text back from Eddie. He goes, hey, while you're there, find me a book on Mount Everest. It's in the geometry section. <laughs> oh, man, you can't yeah. have it all, Sut. Yeah. You can't have yeah. it all. You yeah. can't be good at baseball, good at broadcasting, funny, and good at geometry. Mean. <laughs> oh man so many i i'm having so much fun already Sut, you know you're so beloved on the north side all around baseball the friends you have in the game and outside of the game but it started from somewhere right like you didn't just turn into this person when you were done playing something along the way groomed you whether that's as a young child in the minor leagues how how did it blossomed for you to become a major league baseball. Who were the influences for you when you were growing up in order to kind of get where you are today? You know what, Dip? It, it, it didn't start out like um, every kid planned. Uh, my mom and dad divorced when I was young. My dad ran off. I have no clue where he's at now. Um, we were raised by my grandparents. And my freshman year, I remember I was playing football and basketball and baseball. My grandpa said, you can do anything you want, but you have to get good grades. Well. I come home one Friday with a bad report card. That Saturday, we were playing in a city championship in football. Uh, my grandpa didn't let me play. We lost that game. And I know that a lot of guys on our team were mad at me. Um, I thought it was the worst day of my life. Fast forward to 1974. I get drafted in the first round by the Los Angeles Dodgers. We're sitting in there. We're talking about whatever. And I just had to ask him, I go, why me? I go, there's people that throw harder, all of that kind of stuff. And the, the Dodger guy said, that's a great question. He goes, the reason we chose you was because your grade point average was so much higher than everybody else's. I go, why is that important? He goes, well, you're 17 years old. When we draft you, you've got to go to the minor leagues. You've got to, as a pitcher, listen to your coaches. And the only scenario that we have to compare that is you as a student and your teacher and you as a player and your coach. And so what I thought was the worst day of my life by not getting to play in that football game, honestly ended up being probably the best day in my life because I would not have played baseball in college. I, I probably would have spent my college as a backup quarterback at the University of Missouri. Wow, man, that's what an influence and what a great moment, a teaching moment for 
for your grandfather there. And uh, yeah, I hope I hope any kid who's watching this understands that. I always say, you know, sports are yeah. great, but it, the foundation of getting good grades and putting yourself in a great position to learn is so important. So that is, that rings true. And then you go to the Dodgers. Um, you know, you're you're in the minor leagues. You make your way up to the big leagues. And uh, unfortunately, this year we lo- we lost him. Um, you know, in his later years. But Tommy Lasorda, you know, he was your big league manager. And this, you know, man, Hall of Famer, just a tremendous, tremendous human being. What was it like, you know, playing for Tommy and being around Tommy Lasorda? Well, as everybody knows, we we kind of had a moment where I I redecorated his office, and and looking back, obviously, I regret that, but. My first encounter with Tommy was I was in double A. I just turned 20 years old. I get called up in September. Walter Austin retired with four games to go in that season. Uh, He turned the team over to Tommy Lasorda. He just told Tommy one thing. He said, I want the kid to be the starting pitcher. So I'm out there on the mound. I have five shutout innings. It's nothing to nothing. We got a man on third and one out. I'm going up to hit. Rhino, as you know, I I, I mean, I, I can swing it a little bit. Anyway, yeah, the umpire the says, hey, your man, yeah, the manager wants you. I head back. You know, it's a long way from Dodger Stadium home plate to the dugout. I get back there, and Tommy goes, he says, uh, we're going to pinch hit for you. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, um, that was the first time that, that uh, I was ever in Tommy's office after the game, several more after that. But you know what, Dimp, you're, you're exactly right, man. Um, playing for the Dodgers, they, they had that Hollywood Stars game. Uh, when I was there, they they had the All-Star game where the Dodger All-Stars played the all-time greats. Uh, I got to meet Sinatra and Robin Williams. And, you know, of course, Mark Harmon uh, has become one of my best friends. And the first time I met him was at that baseball game. Man, you, and it seems to gravitate towards you. Obviously, we can tell right here. Just your love of life and um, your love of people and your genuine that you, you just how much you give back to everybody. Now you leave, you go around, you go to Cleveland, and you get traded over to the Cubs in 1984, um, and you come over here, and then you got personalities like Harry Carey, and you got guys, fans that are around like Bill Murray, who we all know is one of the biggest Cub fans out there. Um, what what was your and you and Bill are tremendous friends. I know that you're great friends. What was your first interaction like with Bill Murray when you came to Chicago? The very first time Dip I ever met him, um, baseball fans, Cub fans will remember when Harry Carey had that stroke and he was out, the Cubs brought in celebrities to work alongside of Steve Stone. Well, I guess Bill Murray picked the day that I was going to pitch that day. It was against Montreal. As everybody knows, I didn't talk to even my wife the day I was pitching. So I'm, I'm in the trainer's room. They're putting heat on my arm. As I come out, Bill Murray's sitting in my chair in front of my locker. And all the teams around, they're all laughing and everything. Well, I can't talk to him, right? I mean, I, I got my game face on. I reach around him. I grab my T-shirt. I reach around. I grab my jersey. And he stands up. And he goes, Rick Sutcliffe, aren't we blessed? And, of course, everybody starts laughing. You know, they're roaring. And dip, I just lose it. I go, this is Bill Murray. If I, if I don't shake his hand, I'm going to regret it the rest of my life. So I'm shaking his hand. And he looks at me. And he goes, hey, Sut. Why don't you steal a bag for me today? What? Like, I mean, you know, whatever. So yeah. the bottom of the third inning, I get a base hit. Then Jody Davis scores. He's really out. Eric Gregg calls him safe. Floyd Yeomans, a pitcher, goes crazy. They kick him out. They bring in Andy McGaffigan. He's warming up. Steve Stone and Bill Murray got time to kill. 
Well, everybody that day had brought a TV and a radio to Wrigley because they knew Bill was on. Anyway, Bill's betting Steve Stone a case of beer that I'm going to steal second. Well, Steve Stone says, hey, Bill, that's kind of ridiculous. You know, such not a young man anymore, um, which is correct. Uh, he's had hamstring problems. That's correct. And by the way, Bill, he's never attempted a stolen base. That's correct. Well, guess who stole their first base? <laughs> this guy. And that's probably the beginning of Bill and I uh, being as close as we are. Yeah. He knew right there, man, this guy's a man of his word, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be friends with this guy for the rest of my life. And Bill has been around. He, he's such a character. Everybody knows this. You never know what you're going to get out of him. Um, you know, I, I actually have a story where my dad and his buddy came to the game and were sitting right behind Bill Murray, uh, at, 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 and they just said hi to him at the game, and Bill was so nice and gracious to them. Didn't know it was my dad. No, no connection there. And, and uh, my dad's friend said to Bill, he said uh, – you know, hey, you've ever played Medina? And Bill said, no. And he said, would you like to play tomorrow? And and John John said, Bill said, I can't. And But Bill said, go ahead and just charge anything to my tab. And he's not a member at Medina. He just said that. <laughs> and all I know is my dad and his buddy played for free at Medina. So Hold on. I got a real quick story about Bill. So Mark Grace's first year, after the season, he's running a charity tournament, right? And he's up there, and, and, you know, Gracie's terrific now, but, I mean, he was struggling to broadcast. He was trying to make an auction. He was trying to be funny and also sincere about the charity. It wasn't going well. So our agent, Barry Axelrod, said, hey, so you got to go up there and save him. So I walk up. I grab the mic. And anyway, I go, what's the first item? And they say, it's a trip to Randy Hunley's Chicago Cub fantasy camp. Gracie grabs the mic from me, and he goes, hey, I told my dad, sitting right there, I told him I was going to buy him this trip. I'm going to start the bidding at $1,000. Everybody goes, whoa, whoa, he figured it's over. Bill Murray grabs a mic, and he goes, I, too, told my dad that I was going to buy him the trip to Randy Hunley's fantasy camp. $2,000. Okay, then, back and forth, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. $10,000, Mark Grace says, and that's my final bid. Bill Murray grabs a microphone and he goes, he goes into character like only he can. He goes, I, I told my dad that I was going to buy a trip to Randy Hunley's fantasy camp, but my dad died six years ago. <laughs> Gracie had to pay 10 grand to send his dad to the camp from his own charity. So again, as with Boog Shiambi, you got to be careful. Yes, absolutely. Oh man, I just love seeing Bill around. Unfortunately, in 2020, we know it was it was different. It was so weird to not have, you know, the normal experience that our whole lives we've known as baseball. And for you, you know, you're a guy post career, always coming back to Chicago, you know, hanging out at Murphs and having some cold ones or, you know, out for a nice dinner and just, you know, being around Wrigley, whether it's calling a game or or taking a game in. How hard was that for you to not be able to come back to Chicago to be at the ballpark and 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 just kind of what all of that entailed? You know what, Ryan? It, it, it's kind of like not being able to go home. Um, Wrigley Field ha has been a second home to me. Um, most of the things in my private life, my 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 finances, uh, being on ESPN, a lot of the things I've been able to do, a lot of the people I've been able to meet came from the fact that I was able to put that Cub uniform on. Um, 
you know, it, it, it's if you go to Wrigley Field right now, it's cold, it's dark. I, I mean, if that was the first time you were there, you just wouldn't get it. The thing that separates Wrigley Field from anywhere else, as Rhino, as you well know, are the fans. And and I'll never forget my first game. Um, my first game came right after the Ryan Sandberg game, uh, pitching for the Chicago Cubs at Wrigley. I'd started in Pittsburgh five days ago, but I'm out there, and all of a sudden I'm warming up and they're going crazy. Um, I'd only been there a week. They knew my name. I've never been more motivated in my life. And, I, I you know, I, I mean, as you know, I went out, I threw a shutout. I think I had 14 or 15 punch out. I mean, 90% of that was those fans getting inside of me and just bringing out whatever the best was. Um, you know how I feel about Chicago, Rhino. And, I, I mean, anytime I drive into Chicago or I'm in a car, we always stop at Harry Carey's. I get out, and I go in, and I have a Budweiser. Um, as special as Wrigley Field has been for me, if that's number one, then number number one A is Murphy's Leecher Bar. Um, you've been upstairs. You know that Jim Murphy and Beth, they, they basically gave me the apartment upstairs. Um, everybody from Michael Jordan to Charles Barkley to Eddie Vedder to uh, Bill Murray. To, I mean, you, you, there's not anybody you can name, I don't think, that hadn't been there. Um, all the day games that we played. Um, we both had an opportunity to pitch a lot of opening days. Um, I had the opportunity until it was rained out uh, to pitch opening night there. Um, you know, and in the last probably seven or eight years, uh, a guy named Dave Flom has become a special friend. Um, he's one of the owners of Chicago Cut. It's one of the best places in the world to go have dinner. And my favorite story about Chicago Cut, in there one night during the 2016 playoffs, if you know the story well, here comes in this backup catcher, a 230 career hitter. Really, I mean, nobody hardly even heard of him. Here comes David Ross with his family, his mom and dad, walking in to their table. A standing ovation. All of a sudden, there, I'm going like, wow, who is this? Like, is it the president or whatever? No, <laughs> that's how the Cub fans felt about David Ross then. That's how they feel about him now. And I know Rossi has told both of us that he knew at that moment right there there was something special going on in his life. Yeah, well, and people in Chicago knew that very same thing about you, Sut, um, and the way you are to everybody, the way you treat people, you walk around. Um, I just know it just sitting oh, wow. here and, and talking with you, how much I'm laughing, how much I'm smiling. Um, that's every time I'm with you, and that's why I love pe people love being around you, and we just love the fact that you took time out of, out of your night and your day to to stop by and, and join us here at Off the Mound and show all the, uh, share all these incredible stories. So thank you so much. Well, if I have one rule when I when I do a TV show, it's that I never work with anybody better looking than me. So I'm happy to be with you, and I'm happy to be with Boog again. Um, you know, I don't have to worry about getting in any kind of trouble. Oh, I man, I can't. You know that. That's what I'm telling you, folks. I wasn't lying. He is an elite storyteller, and he's got a vault in there that is unmatched. So great to catch up with Sut. To hear more conversations like the one you just heard, Please download and subscribe to the Off the Mount with Ryan Dempster podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, and it's all presented by our good friends at Sloan. Thanks for listening. I'm Ryan Dempster. Have yourself a great evening.